Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Today, Al Franken on Republicans. We have to be as ruthless. Al Franken appeared on the 11th hour with Brian Williams, where he's had several prescient statements that Democrats should heed. Markle Hutchins, Reverend Markle Hutchins, CEO of Movement Forward on communities working for the solution with the police. Hutchins says, we've done the marching, we've done the protesting, and now it is time to do the heavy lifting of decreasing bias. Marie Pisano, author, producer, radio TV host, and speaker, discusses Finding My Yes. Marie Pisano provided a very inspiring interview. She leaves one with a can-do attitude. You guys are going to love that. all of these interviews, actually. And before we get into our fun drive notice, I want to give a big, big, big thank you to Joseph Markinkowski, Joseph Markinkowski, also known as Joe. He really gave a great, great contribution to KPFT via Politics Done Right. That is what we need. Check this out. We have a great show for you today. Do remember, we are in fun drive right now, but you are still getting yourself a great program uh, that we work at putting together for you stuff that you some that you may know on a small level some that you may not know at all that's why we're here politics done right kpft 90.1 fm houston we're asking you to invest in this community radio station but why because folks there's a lot of media out there but it's not media that you control. It's not media that has your interests at hand. When we're talking about community radio, when we're talking about this community radio station, KPFT 90.1 FM, we're talking about a station that is solely funded by whom? You. And if it is funded by you, our loyalty is to you. Most other stations, commercial stations, they're funded by their advertisers and their advertiser needs to program you. And they need to have you in a particular modal. That is why our politics is so bad. Because we need you uninformed. Politics done right doesn't believe in that. Politics done right, KPFT 90.1 FM. Pacifica Network, we don't believe that. We believe that it is essential that you are in control. 
it is essential that you support us so that we can feed the ethos that we can give, we can enlighten with what is the absolute truth. In that light, I'm asking you to please call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org and support us. You can support us with a $25 membership, a $40 membership, or you can get any one of our gifts that you find there. Please do this in the name of Politics Done Right. Also, remember that you can get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. Pledge of $120. You can get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. That is, in, that is to support our station and all those books i promise you give you all that you need to have that conversation across the board to ensure to help us make a better america so please support us please support kpft 90.1 fm houston Call 713-526-5738 or visit kpft.org. In the name of Politics Done Right, please select one of our books, several of our books, or one of our offers. We're here for you. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright. On YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what that nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. Al Franken. Al Franken hits the nail on the head. One of the statements that he made is it is time for Democrats to be just as hard, just and as untethered, not untethered necessarily, but do exactly what the Republicans are doing. It seems to be working for them. Uh, obstructionists and still they run the risk of taking over Congress again. Well, maybe it is time to take the appropriate weapon where it needs to be taken. Let's listen to Al Franken and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. Hey, Senator, what do you make of this McConnell threat? Are they really going to sit it out? And are the Democrats doing enough, getting angry enough, making enough noise? He's going to sit it out. I said he's destroyed the Senate. He, he did more filibusters of executive nominees during Obama than been done in the previous history of the country. This is just him being ruthless. 
Merrick Garland was that. We got to start doing that. One, we are going to have to do this. It, it would be insane to default. Absolutely insane. We can't do it. The dollar is the default currency of the world. We can't let it not be. I have confidence that we will step in there and Mitch will do exactly what he says. But we started, we have to start being as ruthless as him. For example, the Freedom to Vote Act, which was negotiated by Amy Klobuchar and Joe Manchin and others, is a great bill. But we need to pass it because state legislatures have passed these uh, these voting bills, these election bills in th these states that say that the state legislature can overturn the results. That's kind of what Trump wanted them to do last year. We can't allow that to happen. Joe Manchin says he will not get rid of the filibuster, but we can modify it. And Norm Ornstein and I have a plan to do that. Instead of 60 votes to stop a filibuster, you need 41 to sustain a filibuster. And 41 senators have to show up on the floor and they have to stay there. They need 41 and they have to debate. It's a talking filibuster. They have 50. They can go back and forth, but the average senator could only be off the floor, uh, Republican senator only be off the floor for five hours, and it won't last long. But to your call to action uh, uh, from your fellow Democrats, you know better than most people the cultural difference between the parties. Democrats uh, have always been and continue to be kind of culturally skewed towards student council presidents, uh, increasingly Whole Foods and electric car enthusiasts. Uh, as, as Rick Wilson famously said, Democrats bring a soup ladle to a gunfight. Meantime, you're up against stone cold killers. Yeah, well, we have to stop it. We have to be stone cold killers on the voting rights. This, this is an existential threat to our democracy. We lose our democracy. It's it, we lose everything. So we have to pass this bill and you can carve out and say for, you know, elections, uh, this is our democracy. We can carve that out and pass it with 51 votes. Or you can do what I'm talking about, which would restore the filibuster to what it was, which was something that was rare when a minority cared about something. I would love for them to debate these voting laws in these states. I would love to hear the debate on why you can't hand somebody water in a line who's, who's been waiting for hours, who's still waiting for hours to vote. Yeah, I'd show up for that debate, too. Uh, I, if memory yeah. serves you, you served with Manchin, but not cinema. What generally do you make of the Mike Nichols and Elaine May of the U.S. Senate? Uh, Nichols and May were much funnier. Um, Joe, I know very, very well. There's stuff he's proposed, I think, in the last day or so that they're they're good things. For example, getting rid of taxing carried interest as capital gains. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And Cinema was very helpful on the bipartisan infrastructure package. She's going to get there. They have to get there. There's so many great things in this package. There's Medicare negotiating for pharmaceuticals. We pay three. Three times as much for the same pharmaceuticals as Europe. And that's yep. because the biggest purchaser of pharmaceuticals in our country can't negotiate. All their governments negotiate. That's ridiculous. Child tax credit reduced childhood poverty by half. Biggest middle class, working class tax cut, low income tax cut in the history of the country. 
people like the elements. We got to start talking about what the elements are and not call it the reconciliation package. Absolutely. Stop calling it the reconciliation package and call it the package that serves the people. And by the way, what he says is right. We have to, Democrats, progressives need to become ruthless as Republicans are and figuratively stone cold killers. Here's the deal. Uh, Americans don't vote for Republicans because they like Republicans or because they like what they have to offer. They vote for Republicans because of the simulated strength that they think they have. And there's this, there's a certain thing that people like. And that is they, they, they like when there is a disposition of strength. When you have the someone showing that we will get something done for you. So if Democrats go around and they just can't get anything done, now we, we, we did well. We got the rescue plan passed and that was Excellent, and it helped a whole lot of people out of poverty, but we need quite a bit more. If they believe that Democrats have done all that they are able to do, then they may start believing the crap that comes from the right as far as what we can do for you, which in effect really is not much, not anything. We're just not Democrats fighting among each other. So the, the bottom line is simple. Uh, be as ruthless in supporting the American people, that's a display of strength. And the figurative statement of stone cold killers mean we are going to come to you and tell you we have the majority. This is what's going to be done. If you want to be, if you want some of your things as well, join the, join the team or goodbye and move on and move forward. That is the one thing we need to do. Stop hanging around and being concerned about uh, trying to be bipartisan. They are not interested in bipartisanship. They are interested in power solely. And those centrist Democrats, we have to determine whether centrists are the new extremists when we're speaking about policies for the American people. We are honored to have Reverend Markle Hutchins, who is the CEO of Movement Forward. He says the following, and I want you to listen distinctly. We've done the marching. We've done the protesting, and now it's time to do the heavy lifting of decreasing bias, increasing respect and trust, protecting the lives of young men and women, but protecting the lives of our law enforcement professionals as well. Reverend Hutchins, welcome to Politics Done Right. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about the reason that uh, you formed uh, Movement Forward. You know, I've been at the forefront of human and civil rights advocacy for the last 25 years since I was a teenager. I was mentored by all of the icons that worked very closely with Martin Luther King Jr., including his wife, Mrs. Coretta Scott King, and Congressman John Lewis, and Jesse Jackson, and Andrew Young, and so many others. There really is a need for another generation of leadership to emerge in the King tradition of leadership. This idea that somehow we can separate or segregate our morality is what led me to believe uh, that we needed another movement. We needed to take the best of the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, the movement for LGBTQ rights, all of those movements and move them forward into more cooperative space, into a larger context, into a collaborative approach to actually solving problems. It's one thing to raise the issues, but it's another thing entirely 
to deal with the problems in a solution-focused manner. And that's why we created Movement Forward, to be a modern and inclusive human and civil rights organization that takes the work of the movements in the past and brings them forward. So you are not just, uh, your agenda doesn't only include having uh, police officers do the right thing. It's much more inclusive than that. It is. But the idea, uh, the, the, the subject matter of criminal justice and particularly policing in America is the most pressing human and civil rights issue in our consciousness today. So that is the issue that we are uh, are focused on at this moment in time. What we try to do differently than some of the organizations that have gone before us is we try to deal inclusively and comprehensively, if you will, with the, the human and civil rights or social justice causes uh, that are before us. And I, I think it's something that we've missed over the last, I guess, 35 years of activism. It's kind of been one issue to another, as opposed to actually focusing on a single subject matter and figuring out a solution before you move on to another subject matter. And that's the kind of approach that we take to our activism in this moment. Uh, in a constructively critical manner, give me uh, organizations by name that you think uh, probably requires some change of direction in your view? Well, I think we have to, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's tough to call names because I'm a member of these organizations. But right. when you look at organizations like, for example, um, uh, and I, I don't want to call names of organizations, but, you know, I, I, will, I will give you an organization that is very near and dear to my heart, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or SCLC. That's an organization that has an enormous history, but it also is an organization that is, um, frankly, um, inhibited by its history. So often we celebrate the successes of our organization's past that we don't bring them forward into more uh, inclusive and collaborative spaces. So that's the kind of work that I think has to go on. We're not nearly as segregated as we were when some of these organizations were created. So if you want to deal with social justice, human and civil rights issues in this time where our generations, younger generations are more inclusive, we're more expansive in our thinking, we're more technologically sophisticated, the ways in which we do activism and approach social change need to innovate through the changing of, of the mindset of the people that we serve. Understandably, you won't call names, and I think that's a good thing. So let me take let me call names and ask specific <laughs> questions to that name. Uh, what's in the ethos right now is Black Lives Matter and the way they do things with the way uh, police have criminalized black men for just being. And that's my opinion as well. Uh, what would what would you do differently? And don't you think the reality is many of these organizations that are much more confrontational open the doors for the organizations like, let's say, Movement Forward, because people realize that just maybe we need to take a different tact? Yeah, I think there's always been a dual approach to how we deal with social justice. What made Martin Luther King Jr. so successful was the presence of Malcolm X and Stokely exactly. Carmichael and a lot of other folks. Right. That's why I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not critical of what other organizations do, but I will tell you that I don't believe we've ever successfully uh, pass legislation or change public culture when we segregate our morality. And that's why we focus on the work that we focus on I, today. Let me interrupt you a second, Reverend. I don't understand what segregate morality means. Well, what I mean by that is when we say one group of lives matter, uh, we have to be clear 
that other, it doesn't mean to the disadvantage of other folks. So when we say Black Lives Matter, I think our messaging, the way we approach the subject matter, our tone and tenor has got to suggest that we mean Black Lives Matter, not to say that other lives don't matter, but it's just a fact of the matter that in this environment that we live, black and brown people are suffering disproportionately from police-involved tragedies. But I think our messaging has got to be, and I say that because in a historical context, again, I was born 10 years after Dr. King was killed, but I still am a student of that generation. As they were marching in Selma and Montgomery and St. Augustine and so many other places around the South, it wasn't black lives or Negroes would overcome. It was black and white together we would overcome. And that's what I mean by segregating a morality. We have to speak in a language that endears those to our, our, our struggle that need to be a part of, of our witness. Let me interject here because I'm of two minds. And I, first of all, let me say that I'm in complete agreement with what you just said. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the way the animal mind portion of our the, the animal portion of our minds work until we are jarred, things don't get done. So whereas you are pragmatic and you want to work together with people or whatever, you don't get much attention. Black Lives Matter goes out there and and really put a whole lot of things in your face. Then you matter because it's like, oh, I see what they're saying. I want to work with you. I mean, I spoke to the to the people, to the actual founder of the Black Lives Matter. And I had the same argument that you had there that why at least didn't you say Black Lives Matter too? Just adding that one word would have said, would, would have prevented the right from making it a racial issue as opposed to a asking issue. And what she said was, we didn't want to further go ahead and say, our mattering was in your hands. We just want to know that you to know that we matter. So I'm of two minds between messaging and actually taking command of your own being. So well, I think that's I think that's uh, um, I think it's it's on par with what you and I have discussed previously. And that is there's one approach to raising the issue, but there's another approach to solving the problem. Right. And when I talk about the fact that we've done the marching and the protesting, there's nobody. I live in Atlanta, uh, birthplace, if you will, of the modern civil rights movement. There's no one in Atlanta who has led more marches, protests and demonstrations than I have. And certainly no one who has been more successful in holding police officers responsible for killing people. Um, that, that has been my life's work and I will continue to march. But at some point, we have to transition our marching into actually uh, uh, turning our pain into power, as I say, but really focusing on the solution. So we've done those things. This subject matter is before the consciousness of the American people. Everybody knows that there has to be some changes with regard to our criminal justice system. There have to be some modernizations and we've got to transform some things. But as just as we deal with that subject matter, we also have to deal with the other side of it. And that is in our communities and communities of color, crime and violence has gone through the roof over the last several years. Burglaries are up, murders are up, robberies are up. And so the communities that we seek to serve by reducing officer-involved tragedies are the same communities that are being victimized disproportionately by crime and violence, which is why I suggest now that we've, we've raised the issue, the, the, the American people understand our cry around Black Lives Matter. Now we have to turn that cry into a movement of actual solutions. And that's what we're seeking to do with our work.
Great. And that's a perfect uh, uh, segue, uh, Reverend Hutchins. So what are you doing? What's your organization doing? What's the conglomerate of your organizations going to do to actually make that a reality? I am of the belief, my brother, that as long as we are reduced to yelling and screaming at each other and standing in our individual corners with only collaborating and coalescing with people that think the way we do, there's very little progress that can be made. I've taken a distinctly different approach, and we initiated the largest police community outreach project in American history. If you'd asked me 10 years ago when I was uh, leading marches and putting uh, putting protesters in the street and getting arrested, if I would be at this place, I probably would have disagreed. But at this point, I've grown to the place of maturity where I understand that just my leading protests or marches or being a part of those demonstrations is just not enough. The more it seems as though the more over the last several years we've continued to march and protest, the more officer-involved tragedies have come. So we put one uh, killer of George Floyd behind bars, and yet we continue to see officer-involved tragedies. That led me to believe that we need to take a different approach. We need to take an approach that really contemplates what the challenges are. These mutual biases, the fears in all directions, are what are fueling these officer-involved tragedies. These police officers who are quick to pull the trigger don't really see the humanity in the people that they're policing. That was what killed George Floyd. It was not a violation of policy or procedure because or it was not a, uh, a flawed policy or procedure. The officer that killed George Floyd violated his department's policy and procedure. So what the policy and procedure was inept, what it was is that officer did not see the humanity in George Floyd. And that humanity cannot be taught in an academy. The answers to the challenges we face in this moment will not simply be printed in a policy or procedures manual, nor in a piece of legislation or an executive order. They will be imprinted in the hearts and minds of every law enforcement professional and every local community resident, which is why we have taken this approach. We created, again, the largest police community outreach project in American history, National Faith and Blue Weekend, which will occur October 8th through the 11th. We've partnered together with the police chiefs and sheriff's associations across the United States of America, the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Reverend, I, I want you to announce your event. I, I really do at the end where folks are going to see, but I want to sure. take this one place before. Sure. Um, you, you spoke about something that that's factual. Crime rate in, in, in places of color has increased. Uh, Absolutely. Likewise, it has increased in Appalachia, meaning white area. Yes. There's something that they, they, that they're, that, that's distinctive. And these are in areas of suffering. Uh, in, in the process, you've talked about inclusivity. Uh, in, are you, uh, let's, I remember back earlier on, Jesse Jackson tried something that was fairly successful, and that was to try to bring a lot of folks in Appalachia, a lot with the, with the other, other disadvantaged areas, so that it wouldn't look like a disadvantaged color issue, but yeah. a socioeconomic issue. And what I find is not enough leaders are looking at it that way. Let's let's look at uh, the 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 fiasco that's occurring in Congress right now as far as a human infrastructure bill. We want to we want to fix capital, 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 capital. But humanity, no. And humanity is what will solve the problem you're working on. Will solve the problem in Appalachia and all these other places. I wonder. You spoke about being in silos. 
I wonder people with platforms like yours, if those are the areas that will be examined as well, because there are more of us. When I say us, I'm not talking color. I I understand clearly. In the the condition that United would force a mansion, a cinema, and everybody else to jump on board policies that will make police less necessary and, and, and quite a bit more. Your thoughts on that, then I have a final a final for you. I cannot agree with you more. This is really a, what we're doing in this moment is really taking a, a page from Reverend Jackson's playbook. I spent my teenage years under his tutelage and mentorage. I would follow him across the country. If we can deal effectively with this bridge building, coalescing, bringing the struggles of our suffering together, then we can raise, if we can do that with criminal justice, we can do it with anything, which is why I take the different approach than some of those activists in Black Lives Matter. Until we build a tent where the suffering of the disabled, the suffering of people in the LGBT community, the suffering of of women and the disadvantages of other people of color, along with black folks, until we can build that kind of movement, we will continue to see officer involved tragedies because we have got to create a mass movement in this country to deal with criminal justice reform, to deal with economic reform, to deal with other legislative and policy matters. One of the things that we've done, quite frankly, strategically with National Faith and Blue Weekend is we didn't just make this about communities of color. We have more white congregations, Asian congregations, um, Jewish and Muslim congregations all across this country that are engaged over the course of this weekend. I just realized if we can build a mass movement to deal with this subject matter by bringing people together, because the hearts and minds of people are focused on the on the subject matter of policing. If we can do it in this subject matter, we can do it in anything. Um, Reverend Hutchins, I always ask this as a last question. What was I not uh, correct in asking you? What should I have asked you that I didn't ask you? And please tell us about this uh, event that you're about to have as well. So next weekend, National Faith and Blue Weekend will happen in all 50 states and multiple locations. It is the largest police community collaboration in American history. And it is the first time in our nation's history that all of the national law enforcement organizations are coming together for a single police community outreach project. It really is a historic olive branch. Look, law enforcement leaders across this country recognize that changes are needed. There's some need for reforms. There's a need for uh, standardization of use of force, for example. But the greater need is relational reformation. We've got to cause the law enforcement professionals that police in our communities to get to know the people that they're policing such that bias are decreased and trust is increased. October 8th through the 11th, Faith and Blue Weekend activities will happen all across this country. It is a bridge-building approach The mission is to facilitate safer and stronger, more just and unified communities by causing law enforcement and the community to come together to have these difficult discussions. They have to happen, but they have to happen in safe space. And that's what the faith community allows us to do. I encourage everyone to go to Faith and Blue, faithandblue.org. All the information is there. You can find events that are close to you. Let's be the change that we want to see. And we can't do it if we're simply yelling and screaming at one another. 
Reverend Markle Hutchins, CEO of Movement Forward. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Marie Pisano was born and raised in Chicago. She moved to Memphis in 1999. She was she has served on the boards of the International Children's Foundation, the Women's Foundation for Greater Memphis, and the Commission on Missing and Exploited Children. She was co-founder of the Tiara T Society, chairperson for Go Red for Women, and created Rock for Hope for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. She's a devoted mother of two and very passionate about film, music, and community. The author, producer, radio TV host, and speaker is building her life and her company's MVP3 Entertainment Group and MVP3 Studios on truth and integrity. And she is the author of some books with some striking titles. From Barefoot Stilettos, Finding My Yes, and also She Isn't Shy about saying it's not for sissies. Mary Pisano, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? Yes. Good. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, look, let me tell you, um, I, 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 like, I like great stories and I like great beginnings because one of the things, in as much as we're a political show, one of the things we like to do is talk about empowering people. And your story is an empowering story. I mean, and uh, what I want you to do for me, if you will, is give us a little start. Who is this Mary Pisano from Chicago who had some heavy things happen in the beginning of her life? And then we're going to talk about how you stepped forward and took command of your entire life and give it in a, in, in, in a manner that encourages folk that says we have control of our own lives. We are control of our destiny. It's a, it's a choice, but um, growing up on food stamps in the side of Chicago in an all African-American community with gangs and, um, you know, learning how to navigate through that and throughout life, a mom. And then, um, you know, it, it's something that, you know, you take with that, that is kind of like street smarts, so to speak. But you, you know, what I want everybody and encourage everybody to understand is just because of what you have gone through or where you grew up doesn't mean that totally defines you. It helps create who you are. Um, it can, um, the choice that you make to either, you know, fall into it or to create better. And what I had learned from my mother was you could either play victim or do something about it. And so I've chosen in my life, in my path, even though I stumbled and fall, you know, along the way, but but it's still a choice up each day and go find, you know, my yes. And my yes might not be the same yes as your yes, but we could all find our yes by rising up and um, living on truth and integrity is really the key. And that's what I found for myself. And when you heal all the inner child issues and heal the past, that's how you could actually thrust forward to a great future. Now, now I want to ask something. I want to, I want to put you on hold for one second. I I want to stop because you brought your mother in for a little second. You said it is something that 
I guess it was your your yes came sort of a something instrumental from your mother. Uh, is that what you're trying to say or? Well, my mother, when she was younger as a child, she was sexually abused by what um, the term is a family friend. And later in life, what she did to help other children was she created a chapter in Illinois called Child Find for Missing and Abused Children. And when a Chicago Tribune reporter asked her, why did she, you know, do this? And she was in the middle of, you know, in the 80s when there was a really, you know, it's a serious matter now, but it was even more serious where she was coming out and where no, nobody really wanted to talk about how the Catholic churches were um, molesting and sexually abusing children. And they asked her, you know, why, why is she, you know, putting her, you know, self out there and why she's doing this. And she said, there's two roads you could take. You could play victim or do something. Her powerful words were, she decided to pick up her panties and move on. That was some powerful words at, at age 13 for me to hear. It can be shocking and cringing, um, but it means that no matter what had happened to her, she chose to rise up. She chose to, you know, um, not let that define her and go do something about it and not play the victim, but also help empower others. And that's where I get, I believe, my strength. Well, I mean, interestingly, if you take a look at uh, your life, uh, going on the road, one of the first things that happened to you is you're on a motorcycle and you crashed and you you, you, you kind of like exposing that T on your legs. Tell us a little bit about that. And, and what made you get out of that, which would have debilitated most people into actually moving your life forward? Well, at the time I was working at Chicago Valley's Health Club, and that actually is what helped me survive um, because I was into fitness. And that actually the doctor said when I got hit, a, a car came out of like the side out of nowhere, um, did one of those, what they call a Hollywood stop, not really stopping. And there was, um, the vehicle had a headlight that popped up. It was a Dodge 1988. And as we were driving by and I'm on the back, the car came out, hit me in the leg, the headlight of the car went into my leg, ah. which tore my leg. And I had, and it came centimeters away from the main artery. And if I did not have the um, background of working out and building muscle, my leg, I would have, it would have cut that main cord in my leg, main artery, and I would have, I would have died. But the grace God, um, and because of, how I was involved in fitness at the time, it's, it's what saved me. So yes, it, it was devastating. It, uh, Cause when you're young, you, but you know, the same thing with when you're young and you have the mindset that you're invincible, 
you know, young teenagers, I mean, you know, they think they're invincible. They, you don't really have the mindset capacity to really see the future or, you know, um, you live for just the now and, and, uh, that's what happened. You know, it was, I just got up and automatically, you know, went into, you know, survivor mode. And, but later in life, it affected me because it's, it's called post-traumatic stress. So, um, it's been definitely a journey. Um, but and, it, uh, one person, go ahead. The thing about it is that, uh, you got up I, and, and, and that is why your story for me is intriguing. Not only about the motorcycle, not only about where you grew up, but how you moved from Chicago to Memphis, Tennessee. Tell us a little bit about uh, that. And before we get into the why and what's of your two books. Um, I came to Memphis, Tennessee in 1999 after my now ex-husband um, got a job offer. And um, it seemed like a good and it was, you know, going to be something good for our family. And but. When we got here, it was definitely a culture shock for me mm -hmm. um, growing up, you know, in the south side of Chicago. And I didn't really think, you know, it's about eight hour drive and an hour and 40 minute flight. But it is a total different <laughs> culture, you know, um, coming from the north to the south. And this is where... You know, the assassination of Martin Luther King, um, the downfall of Stacks, um, you know, it there is still underlining racial, you know, um, very much more heavier than when I moved here. And that was, you know, that was a difference to to walk into and and discover how to navigate through that, because I didn't see. Color. I didn't really, you know, where I came from, we have more culture or more, you know, um, there was, there's always been racism, you know, but not like it was here. And, and trying to, again, you know, a, a city attitude, like kind of, I explained it like Kevin Bacon in Footloose. Remember that movie where Kevin yes. Bacon's from New York comes to the country and he is just the outsider and right. outcasted and everything. And that's basically what I didn't feel like I had anywhere to dance. So I had to create my own dance. Well, you didn't only create your own dance. You went ahead there and started saying, I want to bring some of who I really am here. So I want a studio. I want to manage people. I want to talk to people. I want to empower people. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I dove into being on boards that help women and children um, because of, you know, what I learned from my mom, you know, she started organizations and I learn how to fundraise and you know, help events. So I started doing that. And um, the first thing I, I was involved with was with St. Jude. And we started a, you mentioned, you know, I did Rock for Hope for St. Jude, and that was putting on a concert um, to help, you know, the research of children's cancers. So 
we put on this concert and it was like my little mini Woodstock and we had all different genres of music. And at the time I also in Nashville, um, watching a poison concert with Brett Michaels. And, um, from there met the Mulch brothers and Billy Falcon who write with Bon Jovi. I asked the Mulch brothers to come perform in Memphis and they did. And after that, they asked me to be their manager and um, it was intriguing. And um, I, so then I started going back and forth from Memphis to Nashville and really learning the whole music scene, not only here in Memphis and the history, but also in Nashville. And I thought there's, there's a bridge here that we can build. And why wasn't anybody building that bridge? And also we had so much talent in Memphis, but why wasn't Memphis operating like Nashville? Because Nashville is a music business. They all work together, created this whole music business. And so from there, I just saw this vision, you know, and while I was helping the Mulch Brothers, we got them signed in, in Nashville and from there, you know, all musicians want their songs and movies. And um, so I just learned and navigated how to get my artists into movies and on the radio and uh, eventually stumbled into also producing, you know, films myself. That 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 is actually great. Now, uh, why did you write the books? And I mean, uh, I, I, I like the titles because it's it's so affirmative from barefoot stilettos what is barefoot stilettos anyway well we all come in this world barefoot we all stumble and fall um, but we each have the power to rise up each day and i say stilettos you know in my stilettos because as a woman or anybody you know trying to hurdle over life or whatever, um, we always get knocked down. You know, there's always, you know, curveballs and things that happen in life and things we can't control. But no matter what, we cannot give up. And I just say I empower myself by rising up in these stilettos. And um, most could get offended by it. But Women have to go through a lot of different things. So do men. But women have to teach, you know, men how we want to be treated. But in all honesty, we all have to teach each other how we want to be treated. So stilettos is just not, you know, this, you know, stiletto, a shoe or anything, you know, that is offensive. It's it's more about rising up, you know, in, in your stilettos, little girls always dream of wearing that stiletto or, you know, that glass slipper, but they don't realize that it takes a lot to wear that glass slipper, you know, to wear that stiletto without stumbling and falling sometimes, you know? Let me tell you something. First of all, what you said is so sure. true. When, when you talked about uh, oh, women, we women need to tell what it is they need. Women need to be. Uh, we need, we need to know what 
how different women are treated, etc. You don't have to come out and say, and men also, because we're still living in a patriarchy. So, I mean, uh, I love that you come out assertively and said what you had to say that, yeah, you guys need to learn how uh, how the hell women need to be, you know, the, the things that affect women. Now, the title of the book, the uh, the, the first one, I, I like the, the one that you, you talk about, um, it's not for sissies. What's not for sissies? I love that. Not easy, meaning it's not easy. Like Rocky Balboa, <clears throat> you know, you in life, you get hit so many times. But is Rocky's thing. It's not how many times you get hit. It's how many times you could get up. And it's not easy. You know, again, all these things that happen to us in life <clears throat> and we're all victims of victimization. and. That, you know, navigating even what we're looking at in the world today, navigating through everybody's inner child issues, everybody's, you know, fears and everything. This this world is not easy. And it again, it's not to be offensive. It's not for sissies. You have to, you know, toughen up. You have to empower to be able to rise above all the noise, all the trauma and, you know, not take being, you know, this emotional punching bag for others. And once we empower ourselves and get that mind, body and soul in balance, you know, we're able to teach others how we want to be treated. And again, I, you know, I have to do say this, that, you know, yes, us women have been treated a certain way, but you know, we forget that so have men. Women, mothers have treated little boys and men the improper way. And that's another reason why possibly men, you know, have learned a certain way as well. So it takes both parties, men and women, to learn how to navigate and work with each other. All it is is about respect. You know, whether it's, you know, this racial thing, whether it's this, you know, we, you believe one thing, I believe another, or, you know, how women and men need to treat each other. Everybody just needs to treat each other with respect. And again, all need to find our yes. And our yes is not the same, but we need to respect that. That I wanted to get there and you kind of jumped the gun on me because there are two last questions I want to ask. How do we get to our yes? And and for my audience, uh, which uh, is a very politically inclined audience, um, your empowering story, the way you just went ahead and, uh, you know, l- let me let me preface this a bit. I have a lot of people uh, in in our as we are trying to empower people politically would say things like, well, things can't change or that's how it has always been or, you know, those kinds of statements. When you come out and you say, find your yes, uh, it is I I tell my audience you can find I I don't use the find my yes moniker. That's yours. Uh, I tell my audience we can do whatever we set out to do. We just have to get out there, stand up, and do it. Uh, you're, from your childhood to your accident to your moving into a society that was foreign to you, uh, you went through all these things, and each place that you've been, you found your yes. It's clear from your company, you found your yes. It's clear from your achievements, you found your yes. 
So uh, this last, this is the last question, a double, a, a twofer. Explain how you found your yes, how you're sure of your yes, and then uh, ask, tell our audience something that you wish I had asked you that I didn't. <laughs> well, how I found my yes is, again, it's a journey. It's, um, and I always say, you know, but I'm not the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa. You know, I made mistakes. Um, we, you know, we we all make these mistakes and we all have this journey. So through it all, you, you're trying to find that. Yes. You know, you're trying to find that happiness. You're trying to what we're all really trying to do is find ourselves. But the way that we're going to find our yes is the minute we heal that inner child. And we heal those adverse childhood experiences and, and overcome those traumas by not holding on to all that past and all the noise that tells you you can't do it. It's always been that way, like you said, or, it, you know, this, that, you, the whole world, you come out, you know, in this world and you have a whole world in fear that all they tell you is no. Well, I came out and said, yes. <laughs> so how I find my yes is I know I have a purpose in this life. I know that I make mistakes. I made mistakes as a parent. I made, you know, but what I've learned is all these mistakes and what other people have done. I was able to take that and be like, that's not what I want to do. I want to create my own yes. And just because they say they can't doesn't mean that I can't. And just because someone says something doesn't make it true. But if I, if I will that, if I say, okay, no, I can't do it. Well, then you're correct. You can't do it because you just said you can't. But if you say that you can and you want to go find that yes, well, yes, you can. You know, and I think I have proven that no matter what happens, I could find my yes, you know, and I hope that I could inspire other people that no matter what, what you get hit with um, this, let me just explain this past year. And you're one of the first people that I'm interviewing to tell you this. I had $5 to my bank account. I lost my vehicle. Uh, it got repossessed. I was my home. I had nothing. I had someone that ran, took all the money and um, left me with nothing. I didn't know what I was going to do. And here we are in the middle of a pandemic, right? I had the world, the whole world, and not knowing what to do once again. But you know what? I found my yes by getting back up, move forward. I see what's going on in media and this whole world, and I set out to create that change. So now with everything that I am doing, I am very purpose-driven. I want to share with other people um, and empower community. That is impressive, and that is finding your yes. Um, uh, let me tell you, Marie Pisano, uh, you're an inspiration. Thank you for having been on Politics Done Right and keep up doing the great work and keep up 
inspiring others because your story alone should tell anybody who thinks they're in the downtrodden that no, they can get up, find your yes, because you know what? It's not for sissies. Thank you so kindly for being on Politics Done Right. Thank you. Please call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org and support us. You can support us with a $25 membership, a $40 membership, or you can get any one of our gifts that you find there. Please do this in the name of Politics Done Right. Also, remember that you can get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. Pledge of $120. You can get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. That is in, That is to support our station. And all those books, I promise you, give you all that you need to have that conversation across the board to ensure, to help us make a better America. So please support us. Please support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Call 713-526-5738 or visit kpft.org. Folks, we are at the end of the program. I hope you enjoyed what we had to offer. We will continue to give you fresh data, fresh programming every single week from Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes 